Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. It's January the 3rd, 2023. For the last two years, on New Year's Day, we've presented our thoughts on what trends we think will develop in the coming year. And we've also looked back at previous prognostications to see how well we've done. Now, a caveat. We often say a fool predicts given the utter complexity of what drives the unfolding of history. So don't bet the farm on what I'm about to say here. However, in January 22, we remarked on how we'd got a lot right in our 21 prognostications. So how did we do regarding events and trends in 22? Again, pretty well. In fact, the list of what we got right is really quite... Long, so I'm going to go through it quite quickly so as not to inflate the length of this podcast. The thing that we emphasised last year was that China would move up the agenda and a cold war on China would start to develop. We got that right, I would say rather obviously, and I'll be going into that again. I expect that trend to continue in 23. We thought that global warming and general environmental degradation wouldn't suddenly be solved and in fact that governments would drag their feet and that a lot of what happened at the COP27 was in fact greenwash. I would include there Mark Carney's promise of trillions of dollars of hedge fund and wealth management fund money towards mitigating climate change. Mark Carney, of course is a former governor of the Bank of England. As Chomsky said, look at the small print and you'll find that the investors, the the super rich, are willing to undertake uh, such a investment, but at no risk to themselves. They they would expect bailouts if anything went pear-shaped, bailouts from the taxpayer, from the government. But that's in the small print. The reality is, of course, that in 22, carbon emissions continued to increase. They didn't stabilise, they didn't come down, they continued to increase. We noticed that alternative media were starting to get a bit of a foothold. And that tendency has continued, though still not enough. It needs to speed up, we think. We expected governments in general to push back against um, the big tech companies, FAMGA, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple. And indeed that they have, particularly over data. And we expect that there'll be more of that into the future. That drama continues to unfold with its push and its pull. We expected further splits in the ruling class and their their political parties, and indeed that has been the case. In the case of the British Tory party, spectacular fragmentation, even though they're still in government. We expected the significance of AI, artificial intelligence, quantum computing and so on 
to develop a pace and again that is the case and uh, we'll talk about that when we look at, at our sort of uh, not predictions for next year the coming year we expected the development of central bank digital currencies to proceed apace and that indeed is occurring as there is a general war on the uh, the freelance remnants of the uh, cypherpunk efforts with uh, cryptocurrency we expected all that we expect further surveillance surveillance capitalism to intensify as a fact and feature of life yes that happened uh, we expected Tory cronyism to perhaps come to light but also to increase and well yeah that's going on and a, a moral from that you know a moral of our success is don't be in a bubble be prepared to look at what the ruling class, the oligarchs, the corporations and their shills in media and government, government parties, political parties to find out what they're thinking, to see which way they're going. Now personally I find this a matter to which I have a very great resistance, which makes me feel so nauseated that there's a whole kind of swathe of human beings that make a moral virtue out of cruelty and mean-spiritedness. But there you go. If you want to figure out what's going on, you have to bite the bullet and listen to what these people are saying and perhaps even engaging with them. As I say, nauseating. The other thing we did last year is we looked at what some other people were saying that, that they would expect to, to unfold in 22. We looked at The Economist, a free market periodical that's been around for well over 100 years. It's generally obviously a little bit conservative being in, in the free market camp. And we found that their, their offerings were bland and meaningless and that in fact, you know, the whole thing just disappears more or less immediately. Yeah, nothing to say really. And we also looked at other sources like, I don't know, Chomsky and Varoufakis, for instance. We expected uh, Biden to continue Trump's Cold War on China, which indeed he did. We expected Xi Jinping to be re-elected or reappointed, whatever it is that happens in the Chinese Communist Party to continue his leadership of the People's Republic of China, which happened. We were fairly pessimistic about the prospects of war, particularly because of the sabre rattling over China and over Taiwan. And we placed the, the possibility of war with China, directly with China over Taiwan at about 40% likely, 60% not likely. So we thought it was quite dangerous, but thought on balance it wouldn't happen but we also noted expect more war anyhow just because of this ramp ramping up of tension we didn't predict ukraine but we predicted that somewhere there would be a break out of this tension now you might turn around and say well that's a war between ukraine and russia with the ukraine being backed on some level through the supply of arms particularly and humanitarian aid so-called from uh, the west and from nato and 
from the US and Europe. And that indeed uh, did, did transpire. We just didn't sort of quite have our eye on the, on the ball there. But of course, it's no surprise. But to say that this flows out of the, the tension, the deliberately ratcheted up tension with China, might you think be a bit of a stretch. But I would like to argue, and hardly anybody else has argued, that the, the Ukraine war is a proxy war. Okay, between the US and Russia, yes, but actually between the US and China, and that it's an effort to peel away or to create a fracture or a fragmentation in the coalition that China is trying to build around de-dollarisation, around doing trade in energy, minerals, uh, finished goods, consumer items without having to do all trade in the dollar, in the US dollar. And there is ongoing continued effort in the, in this respect. And we'll speak about that in a bit when I sort of start looking at 23 a bit more closely. So we got that right, even though we, we didn't predict the location. And I, I remember having a bit of an uneasy feeling about, about all, all that, but I didn't ever get round to looking into it because there is so much to try and look into. And when, when the war did break out and I started looking into what was going on in the Ukraine and what the historical antecedents were, uh, I realised it would have been actually quite a tall order. This is a massively com- complex subject. But nevertheless, we were in the ballpark with that as well. Uh, you know, we expected war that was related to this tension to break out somewhere. Now, the only person I know of who agrees with us, or at least has drawn attention, has even countenanced the idea that this is a proxy war between between the US and China, is Richard Wolff, who's somebody I've got quite a lot of time for vis-a-vis his commentary. Great economist. He's on fire with his activism at the moment. Very enthused by the, the rise of uh, labour power, organised labour, strikes, unionisation and so forth in, in, in the US and, and further afield. Got a lot of time for him. I don't think he understands money. I think there's some bits of Marxism and general understanding of the some of the, the systems involved where, where where I would differ from him and I mean he is an economist and I'm just a mere commentator on nature and Wittgenstein you know so I kind of defer to him in, in some respects but you know this is not hero worship is what I'm trying to get at but yes he's somebody who said the same the same thing and only recently I think like last week he said that We've been saying it for ages, so maybe he's been listening to the podcast and thought, oh my God, yeah. But nobody else is saying it. I dare say it's being uttered in the State Department, you know, and in the depths of the Pentagon somewhere, but uh, it's not an item of popular discourse. Well, I'll say it here again. What's happening in Ukraine is a proxy war between the US and China. We did think that China's efforts to produce common prosperity which is code for making China fully socialist by 2050 uh, and in a manner which is very, very environmentally friendly. That that might hit black swans on the way. And indeed, that's happened uh, with both problems that China's had with COVID. First of all, public unrest through 
draconian lockdowns, which is something we talked about in our own context right at the beginning of the pandemic as a possibility. And then when the government relents because of the public unrest, the civil unrest over the draconian lockdowns, and abandoned all lockdowns, and there's a massive upswing in COVID cases, which has just recently happened, uh, which has overwhelmed the Chinese healthcare system. I mean, there are two such black swan events that have interfered with this program. And indeed, the war in Ukraine was such a black swan event for China, because they are caught very uncomfortably in the middle there. And expect more play from China in this drama in the coming year. On the matter of COVID, uh, we did say that certainly in the UK that COVID would still be here. And, you know, it's it's a virus. It doesn't respect borders. So that also means it would be everywhere. And, of course, in the case of China that I just mentioned. But certainly it's everywhere still. Uh, We did say that there would be an intensification of quarrels regarding vaccines and so forth, and that's intensifying as well. And obviously then we have arguments about what what constitutes real information, what is the nature of scientific studies, do big pharma interfere with the figures, blah, blah, blah. And and there's a whole lot of that stuff going on. And it's it's very hot and and I would say dangerous in some ways. We were expected improvements in vaccines and treatments and think that might have happened, but there certainly is ongoing research in that respect. But nevertheless, in the UK, we're still having uh, between 500 and 1,000 excess deaths per week. Uh, we're also in the, in the midst of uh, quite a bad flu season, as they call it, as well. So there's a lot of... Examination of the actual statistics would be required there, I think, by, you know, by, in, in a very careful fashion. We also said that uh, pre-COVID life, some features of pre-COVID life would reappear, though not exactly, it, wouldn't, it wasn't going to be exactly the same. But the UK just seems, seems to be carrying on as though uh, COVID had somehow just magically disappeared entirely from the face of the earth and it's not the case. It's still managing to make people very ill and kill people. And it does seem, and I think the evidence here is is, is looking to stack up to be quite good, that repeated infections are likely to impact long-term health of people in a whole myriad of ways, given that it seems that COVID is a vascular disease that attacks the epithelium and therefore can cause failure or loss of efficiency of many, many organ systems. Uh, This is the so-called lung COVID syndrome. I do expect that to become more and more uh, apparent and to to, to get clarified with research over time. But we, we have to see. These kind of things you have to see. As I said, a fool predicts. Another thing we got absolutely right was was that we expected union activity, unionisation, working class pushback against the way they've been screwed for the last 40 years would start to rise 
and intensify and indeed that's happened and we have a whole rush of strikes in the UK at the moment and in the US union recruitment is increasing and workers are combining, unionising in, in industries where they didn't and quite successfully. And it's quite difficult to do in the US with the legislation that surrounds trade unionism. And people like Amazon, Starbucks and so forth, they're getting pushback. And that's something that's intensifying greatly over there as well. I said a great deal of store by this. At the moment in the UK t- today, even you know, there are rail strikes, postal strikes, Strikes in healthcare, including nurses and doctors, uh, civil service, and so on. And we've done podcasts about about that. And it really is intensifying, with a lot of talk about general strikes, and with quite a lot of talk about civil unrest. And with the government hoping in the new session of parliament to pass laws, making it very difficult to strike and perhaps insisting on basic levels of service, even when there is industrial action. In other words, a law that says to workers it will be illegal if you strike. In other words, a law which removes the sovereignty of individual workers. In other words, a reinstitution of slavery or serfdom on the working class. And of course, Tories love this kind of shit, don't they? So we write about that. We expected all that to increase, and indeed it has. We expected a bit more international solidarity and, and for solidarity with other movements like climate movements, uh, racial justice movements and so forth. And indeed this does seem to have, have gained a little bit of momentum in 22. Uh, one would perhaps hope for more, but there it is. We got it right. It is happening and I expect it will intensify next year. Also, the unionisation of precariat workers has proceeded apace, and that's a great, a great thing. And the postal strike, in particular, in the UK, is about a resistance to an attempt to make the postal workers into a precariat. In other words, people who don't have any rights. Another thing in this vein uh, is that we said so we did say we expected pushback from the government. Of course, that indeed happened. And what, one of the things is a proposal by the UK government to remove all the residual laws that passed into UK law from the EU in one fell swoop. This has been spearheaded by Jacob Rees-Mogg, and it's scheduled for parliamentary work at the end of next, at the end of this year, I think. Is it the end of this year? Or is it the end of next year? It's about a year's time. I forget exactly. And that would remove things like maternity pay, statutory sick pay, paid holidays, uh, equality legislation, meaning that women get paid equally for equal work, and all these kind of things, all removed in one fell swoop, taking us back to the 19th century. They love this as well. Uh, So uh, we were right that there would be an intensification of that class struggle, you might say. We also said that the struggle for the internet would become more intense, and indeed it has, with planned uh, legislation to attempt to bring some governmental control and regulation over what really is a a pan-global phenomenon, 
particularly social media and so forth. We were right about that. Regarding technology, we expected Web3 developments to m move forward apace, and and they are, but it, it's still a bit in, in the background. But some very, very interesting tech developing, if you dig down. We expected AI, artificial intelligence, to increase, and indeed it has. And the other day, I was just playing around with a, a, an artificial intelligence chatbot that you can sign up to on the internet. This, I think this thing's owned by Microsoft, ultimately. It's the big tech guys who are doing this. And what I, what I asked this chatbot to do was, I typed it in. I said, please write me a program in Python that determines and prints out the first 100 Fibonacci numbers. And then bang, 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 bang. In about three seconds, the thing's there on the screen. And it works. It does what it says to do. I mean, this is a pretty complicated thing to ask. The chatbot had to go and determine what is the Fibonacci series and how to program it in, in Python. And as I say, it did it, you know, and that, that's something that could have popped up last year. AI coming, coming forward a pace. This is actually very crude in comparison with what's coming down the pike and what the, the hope is, the technological ambition is of the, uh, the people who, who are developing this stuff. So, yeah, we were right about that. Uh, the general public perhaps isn't as alert as it as you might think, but there is a lot of stuff going on underneath, and we were right about it. Okay, let's turn to the forthcoming year. And I, as last year, I looked at the Economist to see what they'd got to say. And again, it was it was it was kind of bland. You wouldn't think global warming was a thing. You wouldn't think the war in Ukraine was a thing. And I, I think I'll kind of leave it at that. You know, I mean, they noted a few things. Like India will become the most populous country on the planet. And I think we do need, they're correct, that you need to keep your eye on India and the developments there, uh, particularly the economic developments, but also bearing in mind that this is a, a, a country with a, a right-wing central government, though it has some kind of left-wing local government. And a country which is hosted, if that's the right word there, uh, on at least two occasions, the biggest strikes in world history, and strikes, general strikes involving 100 million workers, plus the farmers' strike against the the destruction of small and medium-scale farming in favour of a corporate uh, agribusiness-managed ma farming. In other words, and in the, the, the rural economy, the agricultural economy over to the corporations. And this is something I predicted as soon as Modi got in power. I was saying to people I know who supported the uh, fascist BJP, I was saying to them, well, you know, you, you basically just want to hand the country over to the corporations, which didn't please them very much. But I was right. Sorry, guys, I was right. They thought Japan had moved into recession. Oh, they thought that Mike doing men in fashion would be a thing, that this would return. I mean, okay, it would be great if it did, but it's it, it's hardly a level of prediction on, on the level of trying to figure out what's going to happen vis-a-vis -vis environmental degradation, which threatens life on the planet. You know, this The Economist, this is what they've got. Makes you think that really it's a bit of a cover-up, the whole thing, really. You know, they, they, they put themselves up, I suppose, as, in virtue of being so venerable as a publication 
as some kind of experts, but what the fuck, you know. So there was no big stuff on there at all, nothing about unions, nothing about climate, nothing about war, nothing about COVID, so, so well, fuck you, economist. I actually, for a, something a bit different, I looked at a commentary on a paper that came out of BlackRock. This is What is to Come in 23 paper, uh, published by BlackRock, which is the biggest wealth management fund on the planet. And it, it controls funds of rich people and pension funds and all the rest of it to the scale of some trillions. You know, it's, it's bigger in its influence, I would say, because it can dispose of this money in investment than many of the nation states, the budgets of many of the nation states on the planet. This is, this is huge and massively powerful. And I did have a look at what they'd got to say uh, through a commentary on it. I haven't read the thing. I've got no inclination to read it. I can look at somebody I trust. And strange as it might seem, there's a, there are a few sort of speculative ca capitalists who I, who, who I think do sometimes tell the truth. <laughs> And it is one of these guys that I looked at, and uh, it was very interesting the way they look at it. You know, just just trying to get a picture of how they look at what's coming down the pike. Interestingly, they think that inflation will go on for some time; that there will be some long-term inflation. And they also uh, claim that the market hasn't priced in long-term inflation. Now, Richard Murphy, who's a pretty cool commentator on economics the guy's actually a professor of accountancy and he's run many sort of pretty large businesses as a ceo and so forth so he knows what he's on about um as i say you have to listen to these people to figure out how they think and actually he's he seems to be quite a decent sort of a chap and he said that uh, inflation will just naturally vanish is his term next year so I mean, the upshot there is that they're expecting, you know, they're, they're asking investors to go on a kind of a careful footing, you know, and to, and to, and to sort of try and mitigate risk and so forth. And they, they expected, uh, like, R Russia to change its economy because of sanctions into one of self-sufficiency. And China is watching this. This is the view of BlackRock, that China is watching R Russia's move to self-sufficiency and they'll be looking for something similar i'm not too sure that this makes sense given that plenty of people are still trading with russia and they well they stopped selling their gas to germany and china's quite willing to buy it and there might be some retreat on the part of russia it seems to me but not a total retreat into a sort of north korea or even an old soviet union style self-containment but who knows, I'm not an expert on, on, on this stuff particularly, but I suspect that uh, people who are putting their money back BlackRock might uh, have some kind of a rude awakening at some point. But there you go, that's uh, a little bit of a, a speculative guess, but uh, I'd certainly keep your eye on that space, I'm going to, for sure. But of course, China supplies the world with goods, the entire world, which is... In a sense, the conundrum at the heart of the cyber-rattling, the uh, willingness and, and the, the project of 
having a Cold War with China, being pushed by America and with, with Europe undecided because the big chunks of Europe are quite happy to work with China and to to be a part of the One Belt, One Road, which, of course, culminates in Duisburg in Germany, you know, is the idea, and then it can fan out into Europe. And Europe quite likes this, so it's kind of torn as well, because obviously they're close to America for obvious reasons, and, of course, there's the whole matter of NATO, the military alliance between most of Europe, Western Europe and, uh, and the United States. So that is something interesting that's going on there. And obviously the global economy is a pretty complex thing, but it's in trouble. We can expect stagflation. And I've often argued in the biggest macro way possible that the, the global economy is intrinsically unstable and it has to hit a crisis one day that it will be very, very hard-pressed to manage. And I think we are in such a place now. And we did remark that one of the, over the years, we've remarked that one of the outcomes of this will be a retreat into self-sufficiency by, by nations and even eventually perhaps by communities when nations collapse. And, that, you know, that there is a general, the pattern produced by material forces on the ground, is one of overarching fragmentation. And if that is correct, uh, they can expect a shittier uh, 23 in terms of the economy. Do not expect a sudden burst back into some 1950s uh, expansion or, or, or some cool Britannia, certainly in Britain, kind of, buoyancy I just do not see that coming despite the fact of Rishi Sunak our almost billionaire Prime Minister who's incidentally married to a billionaireess whose immediate family have more money than they could hope to spend in a thousand lifetimes who announces in the Sunday Express on New Year's Day that quote good times are coming and has himself photographed on the that um, fascist rags front page with a big cheesy grin on his face. This is this is absolute horseshit, I would say, for 23. I'll stick my neck out and say Sunak is wrong on that. It's going to go from bad to worse. With a few little pullbacks here and there, yes, you know, there'll be some mitigations. But mostly not that the fragmentary trend, trend will continue. And that the, the very slow but steady decline of the American empire will continue and that the, the building up of other centres of power in the world in a move towards a multipolar world or a world in which China eventually becomes the, the global hegemon will continue apace next year. Obviously the Chinese have hit black swans with their project, particularly the attempt by America to peel Russia away from that or, or just to cripple Russia and thereby cripple the whole effort. Yes, they've had some black swans, but I, th I think they will continue in with the project as best they can. Climate, more of the same. The COP27 in Egypt was a complete greenwash, to the extent that Greta Thunberg didn't think it was worthwhile attending to the extent that there were more representatives from big oil, the fossil fuel industry, than there were from nation states, who are, at the end of the day, 
who are at the end of the day the people, those in government over the, the world's nearly 200 nation states will be the people who will need to pick up the pieces from this. And it's far worse than people are, are imagining in the West, I would say. And the climate denialists are doing, still doing quite well and they receive enormous money from, from big oil to the tune of billions to propagate, to still propagate the notion that business as usual is an option. And there are plenty of people out there that really, really believe that climate change is not a real thing. And that they are kind of quite remorseless, I'm presuming they're paid to do this in social media in pushing this idea. And it's very easy to get sort of not very intelligent people behind such a thing because they actually fear any kind of change, any any big fundamental change happening to the societies that they live in. A lot of this denialism is just simply, literally psychological denial because changing is too difficult to countenance. Expect more of that and expect the struggle over it to intensify. Covid will continue over the year and I can see some kind of like and I can see some in my crystal ball and in my crystal ball I can see some further problems with it and there'll be some more lockdowns in a few places maybe this kind of thing. I also expect the research to move forward a pace vis-a-vis I don't know, long-term prognostication regarding long COVID, regarding better vaccines, maybe nasal spray vaccines, which I believe are being worked on in China, which stop the infection at the nose. Because the the nose has got its own kind of specialised immune system, the mucous membranes in the nose. And that would be uh, something of interest. But let's see. I kind of doubt that the people that say that anybody who's been vaccinated is going to drop dead over the next six months is unlikely. It's, uh, in fact, I'd bet money on that not being the case. Though, of course, all medicines d- do have potential harm. Did, did, did anybody ever think any, any differently regarding any medicine, anything you stick in your body? The cost of living crisis, which is impacting in many, many parts of the world, but is impacting with extra intensity in the UK, possibly because of Brexit as an added complication, possibly because of the mishandling of the pandemic which is a complication, and certainly because of the total incompetence of our neoliberal but fragmented government uh, is definitely a factor in this matter as well. But I expect the economy to be in an even worse mess by the end of next year than it is this year. With a few comebacks, a few recoveries here and there, certain aspects. And I expect, even though it'll be, at least as far as the media are concerned, rather faint, an increase in the mutual aid within communities. There are a lot of forces ranged against that, uh, one of which again is the divide and rule brought about through culture wars, brought about through attempts to vilify unions who are now becoming very active in the UK. I expect the struggle, the light, the struggle in the, it, between labour and capital, between our unions and our government, to intensify and become more bitter. 
it seems to me the government thinks they're doing a replay of Thatcher versus the miners and that they'll be able to break one of the unions and thereby break the labour movement. Uh, and, of course, they are, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, attempting to pass legislation that will uh, favour the side of capital in this struggle. I'm hoping that the labour movement will double down and bite the bullet and the, the new found strength of, of labour will move from strength to strength and that, and that the working people will start to flex their muscles even more. I'm hoping, I think it will happen, but I think by the end of next year it will have got quite bitter and it's already nasty. And I, I would say if, if one of the unions does is, is kind of smashed, you might say, by, by the efforts of this fr- fragmented Tory government, that it'll be a bad day for any future, for, for ordinary people in the UK, any decent future. War? I don't know. Um, the Ukraine thing could escalate. It really could. It's very dangerous. And I think Mr Putin is planning to escalate it from what I can make out, even though there's such a fog around this, it's difficult to ascertain what true and what isn't. But it, I'd say it's, it's not that controversial to suggest that uh, that Mr Putin is uh, recruiting more, more troops and hoping to amass an army of about one and a half million men ready, I presume, to, to try a kind of a World War Two style takeover of Ukraine just by sheer force and numbers. If he does do that, a lot of them will die. In the His, his preemptive work, his, you might call it, his preparation for all this is to, by means of drones and cruise missiles, to take out Ukraine's infrastructure. In other words, to black out the cities in the middle of winter to remove their electricity and their fuel supplies so that people are sitting there shivering in the cold and to demoralise the population so that they come to the table for a, a deal which is favourable to him. Uh, I think that it, that seems to be what the game plan is from that side. The, the US, for their side, have said they will give Ukraine Patriot missiles which will be pretty effective in defending against the... The, the airstrikes on on Ukraine cities, you know, which as I said are designed to take out the infrastructure, particularly the electricity to the towns. So if if that happens, and it happens fairly quickly, you know, Mr Putin's getting a bit of a pushback. I don't know exactly what, what, what will, how this will pan out. I, I It looks to me like a forever war. The military industrial complex are coining it nicely which is what they do, masters of war. Just as an aside, if you ever get to listen to a very early Bob Dylan record that came out in the 60s, I think, he did a song called Masters of War, an old-fashioned protest song, just the guitar and the voice, the acoustic guitar, Masters of War, in which Dylan, in very lurid terms, condemns those who make profits out of the the bloodshed, the disaster, the heartache and the catastrophe of war. Culture wars, yes, culture wars will persist. They'll intensify. We, 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 it seems to me that there's a, a resurrection of culture wars around vaccines, around masks and all this kind of stuff. 
around public health measures that there's seems to be a very concerted concerted attempt from the the uh, the near fascist right the irrational fascist right the cosmic right to push back against any kind of public health measures and to carry on pushing the notion that covid's not quite a dangerous disease and to push back against any attempts to to deal with it uh, I think I've mentioned you, labor and work patterns and unions and strikes yes more 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 the working class will continue to unionize continue to get its shit together but uh, culture wars of course are playing against this and we're a culture war on the unions Again, an attempt will be made by the oligarch-owned mainstream media to do a replay of the miners' strike, in which they thoroughly blackened the miners in 1985, and the miners' leaders, particularly Arthur Scargill, in the eyes of the public, through just relentless and remorseless propaganda and and lies and just black black ops in, in general including disguising the army as police to go and smash the heads in of, of miners on picket lines. And this is a bit different from that. I think the Tories have miscalculated. But there will be a war on on the union leaders at the, particularly and on the workers also. And we, we uh, I've talked about this in various podcasts, you know, that from clap, clap for the heroes of the NHS on the doorstep on a Thursday night, the nurses many of whom died actually manning COVID wards. From that to these are nurses will be killing patients because they, they are countenancing going on strike, even though the strike measures are such that all really, really serious uh, treatments and so forth and, and, and care will continue. It'll all be allowed for, but no mention of that in the gutter press. So the nurses from being the heroines and the heroes are now vilified as the, the, the most morally corrupt people on the planet. Expect more of this. This is culture war, but it's culture war in the service of divide and rule of the working class in the face of labour. And I don't mean the Labour Party, I mean people who work flexing their muscles. And it will become more and more apparent to people that actually the working people of all industrialised countries, in fact all countries, do have an enormous potential power, much greater than that of their government and the military at the end of the day, would that they were only in solidarity with each other. And that is something that's been obscured by culture, through culture wars for the last 40 years since Margaret Thatcher, which is now starting to dawn on people the light bulb is going on all over the place expect more of that next year but the whole thing will intensify including the divide and rule operation which is culture war whether it's over Meghan Markle or I don't know whether whether you want to change your sex or whatever the fuck you want to do all of this stuff that's nobody else's business will become a matter of heated debate and, and hate and maybe even hate crimes you can expect in this Context. Expect all that just to get out of hand and, and, and to intensify. So, as I've frequently said, whoever controls information controls the world. You know, it's, it's what we actually know and the veracity of what we know that's going to help us to 
fight back actually against being screwed remorselessly on every front and that will help us to push back and organise against the collapse of the economic system, the collapse of the ecosystem, the ecological, natural systems of life support and the collapse of our cultures. All of these in the faces of the fragmentary forces that do devolve down to uh, geopolitics, which in turn devolves down to all kinds of material struggles within societies. This is not like a theory about the, about some kind of mysterious zeitgeist or the workings of the gods or the, the archetypes in the collective unconscious. It's not about that. This is actually a, a very material um, understanding that when we write it large, it comes down to the claim that fragmentation is hitting all of the, the major systems that support human civilised life on planet Earth. More of that. Technology, well, of course, that's going to play a part in all of this. Because you know, it's, it's our technology, our modern technology, is, what do we call it? We call it information technology. And not only is it liberated in certain respects by making all kinds of information available to all kinds of people who didn't previously have it, it's also obscured what is real information or what is true, uh, factually based information, what is pure fantasy and what is propaganda and what is ju- just plain lies pushed out there to divide and rule the people, to discourage the people from taking action, to, to, to demoralise them, to immiserate them so they don't have the energy to push back or even to figure out how they can push back or whether they even, even whether they should push back. All of that. The, the development of our information technology has made all this much more difficult at the same time as giving us much more potentially emancipatory access to data and importantly to each other. So a a very sort of complicated picture I see next year, but I I think basically more of the same. I don't know whether the Ukraine will settle or get round the table or not. I'd put about a 60% guess on the thing still being here this time next year in some form. I hope against that, because people are, people are dying. And all those conscripts that Mr Putin is accumulating, I mean, if they are rookies, they're going to meet their deaths in the cold and in the mud, I'm afraid. And they're, vic- they're victims too. Working-class blokes are victims of war, and it doesn't matter what spin they put on it about their bravery and their patriotism. And their willingness to fight and their kind of fighting spirit or all this. At the end of the day, they're victims, all of them. You know, they're braggadocio, I kind of take with a pinch of salt. When they get their bollocks shot off, something will happen to it. No doubt. So, is there anything positive? Well, yeah, I think so. I think the, the rise of the labour movement has got a lot of vitality in it. And I think that is going to be crucial. I think all of that can be assisted by real pushback in the so-called culture wars. I think people will need to start to insist that environmental degradation is 
priority. And in fact, the whole world goes on a war footing against that in order to mitigate against that. At least the parts which humanity is aggravating. Depletion of soil. I mean, I do expect food shortages uh, 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 next year, to be honest. It's just getting harder to, to, to grow stuff. I expect there to be more unusual weather patterns. And people don't get this, but that can mean that the UK goes like a lot colder. <laughs> Global warming could make could make Northern Europe a lot colder. It may not. It may. It may not. We don't. Know. But what we know is that there will be more unpredictable events. Expect that. I was listening to a professor, uh, I think an eco professor in a university in Bangladesh, because Bangladesh is a, a country with huge population, very very highly populated country. Over 165 million in the 2022 census. Most of it just about at sea level. And he's talking about the 1.5 target, which is not going to be met. It's almost impossible to meet it now, unless there's absolutely massive action taken there. But he said 1.5 is for you, the rich countries. 1.5 is when the rich countries will be seriously discomforted. He says for us, he said, we're already screwed, he said. And he's right, they're already screwed. So expect more of that, and expect expect that to give rise to more local wars, as it did in Syria. And expect that to give rise to more movements of populations, which nobody will be able to cope with. So looking bleak, but I think I say on the positive side, the rise of the workers, and these are the people that can save us. And if they can coordinate internationally, so the Indian farmers have a complete solidarity with the, 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 the British workers who are currently on strike over many sectors of the economy. And that is a positive move. And there, is, there are moves in that direction. There are people working on this. It's difficult you have to be able to put up with a lot of discouragement with that kind of work, I think, and and uh, and, and very intense feelings as though as though you're kind of swimming against the tide or trying to climb up the north wall of the Eiger with in in your underpants or something. But nevertheless, that is is something that could rescue the situation. So I, I, I'm strangely optimistic. I think at this time next year, I'll be I'll be. Uh, pleased about a few things but I think I'll be saying well I was right about this this and this intensifying so expect environmental instability to intensify cultural instability to intensify and economic instability to intensify and those three things to reinforce each other and to create some real 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 ugly problems at the same time as people are waking up and pushing back so I think there will be some optimism there'll be some joy and uh, Lula did win the election in Brazil, very tight margin, but he won. And that's pretty encouraging. In, in fact, Latin America is pretty pink these days. And I know there's been a sort of coup in Peru that I, I'm hoping to sort of try and find some details about. Certainly next year I'm going to take a closer interest in what's going on in overall the Latin America, if I can. It looks kind of encouraging. But difficult, there's going to be hard struggles, very hard struggles, I'm sure.
And I say to you, take joy, you know, not as it's my place to advise anybody on anything, but take joy in life as well. You know, joy is free. Remember that, guys. Joy is free. So I want to finish now. It's a bit rough, but I want to finish with a quote from the great Marxist historian Eric Hobsbawm in one of his essays. I forget which essay. My, I've been reading a lot of his stuff, what he has to say about jazz and various jazz musicians. It's very in, interesting that a, a historian of that, of that calibre and, and breadth, uh, this, this wonderful sort of enthusiasm for jazz. You know. Anyway, a little bit of an aside there. This is the quote. Without profound social and cultural discontents, ready to emerge at a relatively slight impetus, there could be no major social revolutions. Okay, end quote. And I think he's right. But I think we, we may be approximately or approaching such a point. You know, where a slight impetus can trigger it all off. Bit more building of the labour movement here. Bit more fragmentation of, of, of the, the oligarchs. You know, the tech bros against the finance guys. The finance guys against the manufacturing guys. The, in, in the Tory party, the ERG against the, the One Nation Tories. You know, the wets against the dries. The, the, those few with a little sneaking suspicion that they have to get cosy with Europe again against the rest. And everybody hating Rishi Sunak for... Uh, sometimes I would imagine for some sort of fairly nefarious reasons. Uh, you just hate him for being a banker, really. We're going to hate the guy. So, there's promise, there's hope. Uh, I would suppose as mentioned here, one of those hopes isn't particularly the Labour Party. Uh, Starman, as I warned ages ago, he's a member of the Trilateral Commission, which is a global neoliberal think tank, whatever that means. So I, I don't have a lot of trust for him or his French friends. Rachel Reeves, I think, could perfectly be at home in the Tory party, somewhere towards the right wing of it. So fuck them is, is my thought, you know. But Tories out would be quite nice. I don't expect, I don't know, maybe the end of the year, I don't know. Technically, they've got until the 22nd of January 2025 uh, before they have to call an election. Who knows? Mark Dragford in Wales is preparing for a flash election. Other pundits I'm listening to are saying, well, they'll hang on till the last minute because they've got nothing to lose. Let's just trash the economy and make it impossible for whoever comes next to sort it all out. They'll fuck up. They'll get thrown out. We'll be back in. Those kind of scenarios. Who knows? And in, in many respects, it's kind of irrelevant. You know, what does it matter to choose between two cheeks of the same arse? I would be far happier to see a million people on the streets or 10 million people on the streets pushing the gates of Downing Street down through sheer weight of numbers. Either that or a few very effective people managing to kind of put so, some sort of a disruptor in, in their evil machinations, even though they're managing to do that themselves, which is always something that we should... Uh, uh, relish and take some hope from. Okay, well, have a good apocalypse and a good 2023. And we'll be back. Uh, I'm sorry Anna's not here to help out today. She's got other things that she needs to be doing. 
And but we will be we will be uh, podcasting. We've got a lot of things on the anvil. We're looking into many things as hard as we can, really. Some ways. Over and out. Take care of yourself. Make knowledge great again. <laughs>